Well, hi, it's Garrett with another episode of As It Was Written, the story behind the song. If this is your first introduction to the podcast, I work in radio and I have my entire adult life. Country radio for the most part, but I love all genres of music. And I'm interested in the backstories of how a song becomes a song and a hit. This week on the podcast, we talked to Drew Baldridge. He's got a song that blew up over the last year on TikTok called Somebody's Daughter. You've probably seen it on your For You page. How is your baby boy? How is Lyric doing? Some nights when, when it's good and some nights when it's bad, you know, and right now I guess he's teething pretty good. So he's, you know, frustrated, I feel like a little bit, but for the most part, he's pretty good. Now, how do you and your wife split it up? Is it, uh, okay, honey, I, I have, who jumps yep. up and says, I have lyric duty now, or, you know, how do you work that out? Well, it, it's kind of tough right now. So my, my, my mom, my wife is a, uh, you know, she quit her job in the last, since she, uh, had lyric. And, and so she stay at home mama, which is incredible. And, um, it's also like, you know, really hard sometimes because she's like, I need out the house and I'm, and I'm on the road all a lot, right. you know, especially here lately sending this new single, all the things. And so, you know, it, it definitely falls to her more, me being gone on the weekends and everything. And now, if I'm being honest, like, you know, during the day, if I'm not working or writing or whatever, you know, I try to spend time, much time as I can. Um, but like during the nights and stuff, it's, uh, you know, for the very beginning when I wasn't on the road, we were sharing a lot of it and we still try to share it. But right now during the night, he just wants mama. He's going through this phase mm-hmm. where, he wants mama in the night, but during the day, me and him have a lot of fun, but nighttime, she's t- she, she gets the blunt of it right now, which is tough. So the baby conversation was just a precursor. Let's get into it. As it was written, the story behind the song with Drew Baldridge and somebody's daughter. We've known each other for quite a few years, and we text back and forth from time to time. Uh, Today, I've got you on the podcast, as it was written, the story behind the song, and you've had something blow up. We're going to get to that in a little bit, but because I think there are so many people that are just finding out about who is Drew Baldridge, and, you know, this song, Somebody's Daughter, has just been absolutely amazing for you, but there's a much longer backstory of it it wasn't just this song for you you have a history of nashville you've got a history of songwriting um and so i kind of wanted to go back to little drew you know and then to to where you're at now and kind of when you decided this was what you wanted to do or you were meant to do when did you realize that man you know, I started playing obviously in church when I was real little. Little Drew was singing in church at 13 and then um, picked up a guitar about 16, started playing in bars at 17. And then, you know, about 18 is when I realized, oh man, I really think I can do this. You know, I feel like this is what I'm called to do. Uh, I felt like we were playing shows and people were really resonating with our shows. People were coming out to them. And so I had a chance to have a baseball scholarship and I turned all that down. Um, to move to Nashville at 19 and I'll never forget like I'm from a town of 550 people. So I graduated high school with 22 kids, very, very small town. Me too. Me too. You're a very small town boy too. And and so you get it. So when I was at 19, you know, I moved here. We had everything in a trailer. My mama dropped me off and dad, we had a couch TV and a bed, put it all in the room. And then they left. I just sat on that couch in this big city. And I was like, what did I do? This was such a dumb idea. You know, like, right. I don't know how to drive. I don't really know a whole lot of people I'm getting around in the interstates and red lights and one ways, all things. And man, I just put my head down, started writing songs and playing downtown. I was playing at Broadway uh, at Tootsie's actually. I did that for about a year and a half and um, ended, ended up getting my first publishing deal. You know, two years later, I got my first record deal. I think I was, you know, I was only, 23 or 24 um, when I got my, I was very, very young. And, uh, you know, and I think at that time I was, uh, it was so new and so exciting and I didn't really know what I wanted to say and all the things. And so, you know, I've been in town in Nashville now for 12 years. And um, like you said, we've known each other for a long time. I've been in this dogfight of, you know, putting out songs, 
some of them working, some of them getting lots of streams, never uh, really having a success that I always dreamed that I thought I would have, lost record deals, lost management deals, lost deals. You know, I've been in all the ups and downs of this roller coaster of Nashville, for sure. You really have. I want to go back to when you first moved to town. Who finally, you know, after trying to network and meet people, because it's tough. I mean, you can meet all sorts of people, but it's just who you end up vibing with and who you get along with. Who was your first real, I'm going to be, I can help you here? Who was that? Yeah, so there was a girl named Penny Everhart, and uh, she was at BMI. And for all new songwriters out there, new artists, when you move to town, a lot of people are like, well, how do you get connected? How do you do this? Um, You start off at what we call a PRO. And a PRO is um, people that pay you out as a songwriter. So BMI, ASCAP, CSAC, anybody can sign up for those. And so I signed up for BMI. And then you go in and they have representatives there. And and all they want to do is help you, right? Because every time your song gets cut, they they make money off radio play and all the things. And so... I met a girl in there named Penny and I played her my music and uh, she was like, Oh my goodness, you're really good. Let me take you to some publishers. And so we went around and met publishers and I met a guy named Rusty Gaston and uh, Rusty then went on to be my, my manager for five years. He was my publisher. He still to this day, he is my publisher and now he is the, uh, the CEO of Sony music publishing. And, and so um, he's been with me since day one, my biggest believer, my biggest champion. And throughout this whole process of losing deals and losing this and losing that, he has been the, the constant in my life and in my career of just always supporting me and making sure, Hey, you got this, you're talented. Don't give up today could be your day throughout, you know, and I've been with him now. I, I want to say nine years, maybe, wow. you know, that we've been together. What was the first song that you played for him that he was like, I got it. I got to have you here. Yeah. You know, back at that time, I'll never forget. I was real nervous going in to meet him and, uh, and it's crazy story. So I, I went to a number one party because if you're in Nashville, you can just go to number one parties. If you know they're going on, there's nobody real. I don't know if it's that way today, but back then it was like, nobody ID you. You just walk in and I heard Blake Shelton was having a number one party for honeybee. And I didn't really know what they were about. It was my first one. I walked in and there was this guy on stage preaching about songs and it was rusty. And at the time I was like, man, I don't know who he is. Like, I just really want to be with a guy like that. And then I was playing at Tootsie's one night and in walked that guy that was preaching about honeybee and about country music. And I was like, Oh man, I'm going to turn it on. You know, I'm going to jump <laughs> up on the speakers. I'm like going to show him that I can do this. Right. So I'm like up on the speakers doing all the things. And he walks all the way to the front of the stage. There's a trash can there, drops his beer in the trash can and walks out. Didn't even look at me. Oh, and I was like, I was like, man, nobody, you know, on Music Row, publishers and things, they don't give a crap about people playing downtown. And so I have to get in here. So one of my first meetings was with him. And I remember being in that meeting thinking, oh, man, like this is the guy that I saw at the, you know, the number one party. This is the guy that, you know, didn't even look at me when I was playing on stage. And now I'm meeting with him. So I was really, really nervous. And at that time, I had a couple songs um, that weren't, you know, really great, but um, I, I remember playing my first song and he said, uh, he said, man, I'm not going to lie. You're, uh, you're better than I thought you were going to be. <laughs> <laughs> that's a compliment. <laughs> no, that's a compliment. And, and, and man, you know, at fast forward, I think the song that really solidified us um, working together long term was a song called rebound. And that was a song that was obviously one of my singles yeah. seven years ago now is when we put that song out, which is crazy to think about, but that was a song that I think really solidified us working together. It streamed a lot. It, it meant a lot to a lot of people out there. Radio played it a little bit. And so that was, I think that was the song that really was like, okay, this kid can really do it. That's, you know, it's interesting when you hear somebody's path to where they are now and everybody's different. Everybody has their own unique, unique story, but just hearing that, that people coming in and just dumping it, you know, a beer in the trash can and walking out though, he heard what you were doing. You know, he knew yeah. that, but so it made it seem like nonchalant, like he was just throwing a beer away and walking out the door and having that path to be with him for as long as you have. I mean, that's a very cool story. Yeah. And I even tell him that story and he has no recollection of it. <laughs> he doesn't, he's like, did I really do that? And I was like, yeah, you didn't pay one bit of attention to me. And he oh was like, man, God. I didn't, I didn't even know that was you. 
<laughs> That's crazy. Oh man. Well, I guess as many people as they see and and hear and walking in and out of places, it's not going to, you know, get their attention too much unless, you know, they just stop in their tracks and stare at you for a little while. But um, yeah, you know, I think when people are downtown and a lot of, you know, singers that go down there, we're just down there to play cover songs. You know, right. you're not really playing original music. The band has to know the music. And there are some spots down there if you're playing like an acoustic night or something that you can play some original songs. Um, but most part, you're playing covers. There's, you know, you, you're not really showing artistry a lot. You know, right. you're just kind of singing songs. And there's some people that, you know, there's a new artist down there named Kaylee Green who just signed a record deal to Sony. And, and that's kind of her thing. She plays on the weekend. She tells her people. They all come out and watch her. And so, you know, I definitely think that it's changed a little bit down there with the, um, you know, introduction of social media being such a big platform right. as it is. But back then, man, it was it was not viewed as, you know, you couldn't get just, you know, people off the street to come in and listen to you. They didn't even know who was up there. They just wanted to hear Freebird or they just wanted to hear a wagon wheel or or Trek Yes or No, you know, they just wanted to hear, hey, drop a 20 in the bucket and we'll play Friends in Low Places, you now, know? <laughs> now, with Nashville, the way, I mean, you've been there a while and the way it has just exploded commercially in the last five years with all the artists building their own bars, putting their names out front on the signs, you, you're losing what used to be the coolness factor of Nashville with Tootsies and all those small little bars, you know, that you would go in and play. Is the scene still the same with a lot of new artists playing in all all of these artist bars, you know, like Blake Shelton's Old Red or Dirks Bentley's Place or, you know, FGL House or whatever? Do they still find that, that place or are they looking for places like Tootsie's? You know, if I'm being honest, like those newer places are so much um, better for the artists than what the, the old places were. You know, um, when I played at Tootsie's, and I don't know what it is now, but when I played there, we would have a band of five on stage and we would all split. They would only pay us a base pay of 125 bucks. Oh, wow. Every guy would get $25 and then the rest you had to make on tips. And so when I was playing at Tootsie's, that was really, you know, I would still luck out and end up with, you know, $100, $100 in between $100 and $200. But right now, um, you know, the newer bars coming in, obviously way more people coming to Nashville, it being such a booming thing. These bars are all paying really, really well. And, and I know like, I don't, I don't, uh, play down there anymore, but my bass player, he does. And so he plays during the week, he'll go down there and play and then come out on the weekends with us. And, you know, some of these bars are just automatically paying each guy 150 bucks, oh, wow. $200. And, and they get a, and they get a meal, you know, talking if you want a way to a musician's heart, just tell him he gets to eat. Okay. Yeah, and food and a beer tab. <laughs> yeah. Some food and a beer tab. And so, you know, they're getting that and, and a really good base pay down there. So, you know, I know it's not as like cool for the people that used to come here probably and love the, I mean, Tootsie's is still here. You know, some right. of the old crusty bars that are, that are fun. Um, and, and I think there's another one called Roberts Western down there or something like that. That's right. still stand up real country. Those are still there. It's just the newer, bigger bars that are coming in and making Nashville, I guess, cool, you know, is kind of the way I guess to say it. It's bringing thousands and thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands more people a year downtown. And so I know for the players, it's better. And I know for like bringing more people in, it's a, it's a good thing too. Well, everything you see leads Nashville to be the, the, uh, I can't think of it. When you're getting married, it's the bachelorette party capital uh, of the world. Yeah, it definitely is. I remember when I was playing one night and I saw a couple of bachelorettes in the crowd and I said, and you know, Tootsie's is such a small stage. And I think I said something like, why don't we get all the bachelorettes up here on stage? And then they, they all couldn't fit because there was so many of them. They were <laughs> just like, you know, they're, they're, they're everywhere. And it's, you know, pretty much Vegas of the East right now. Right. Um, and, and if I'm being honest, I don't go downtown anymore. You know, I just, I play my shows on the weekend. A lot of times people come up and like, Hey, where are you playing in town? Are you playing in town? You know, where I'll get right. messages. And like the only time we play in Nashville now is if we play the Opry. Okay. Um, but that, um, we're normally on the road all, all the time playing every weekend. I was going to ask, is that, you know, one of those things that you go down as somebody with publishing and all that stuff, you're going and looking for new artists or you were, you were, you know, say, you know what, I've got a wild hair. 
let me go see if I can reach out and I want to go play tonight. You know, how often that never really happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I, when I came to town, they had riders nights, right. And so everybody goes and plays rider rounds. Right. And so we had three or four places that everybody, when we moved to town about 10 years ago, we'd all go play. And, and so, and to be honest, like you go there, I remember I made little cards with my name on it. And if I liked somebody that was playing on stage, I would go up to them and I would say, Hey, I'm a songwriter. I just moved here too. I think we should be friends and maybe write some songs together. And so it started out, you know, a lot of this, these writers nights and I met some of my best friends and still today we are best friends by going and sitting for hours. They would start at seven and they would play until like 10. And then I would put my name down on a sheet and then I would stay and play. Hey, if there was extra time, I would jump up and play a song or two. And in, and in this process, you know, I met, I mean, Laney Wilson, you know, me and Laney met each other back doing the same, doing this stuff, playing shows and rider rounds and, and things like this back 11 years ago, probably. And we became really good, good friends. And, um, you know, I'll never forget hearing the first time I met Luke Combs, he was playing in a little bar at Winters and I heard his voice and me and Laney went in and watched Luke play. And so, I mean, everybody kind of has a class that they moved to Nashville with and, and you meet people by going out and playing these writers rounds or at the bar, or you guys see each other constantly. It's a very, very small knit community. Right. If you know the events that are going on now, whiskey jam is a big thing that, um, that is now everybody comes Monday nights and goes watch whiskey jam. And if you go out enough every week, you're going to start seeing the same people. And these people are all at the same events. You're going to say, well, what do you do, man? I've seen you four times, you know, I've right. seen you down the bar and they're like, well, I'm a songwriter. And it's like, well, maybe we should try writing a song together and you do it and you become friends. And so, you know, it's interesting how you just got to go out and, and know the right events, the right events to, to go to and songwriter nights or, number one parties or whatever. And you start just running into people, rubbing elbows. And you're like, oh man, this dude's been around. I need to see what he's up to. It's really crazy and interesting to me how the business works from, not even from an artist's perspective or a label's perspective, but from how an artist just connects, you know, or a song just connects. Like Lainey, all of a sudden exploding, you know, Luke Combs, when he exploded with hurricane, you know, when that, I mean, it took a while for hurricane to launch, but once it really got going, people gravitated to it and it jumped and you and somebody's daughter and the different paths that these take, whether it's organic or whether it's pushed through the label, it's interesting just to watch it from an outsider's perspective, not even just me being in radio, but me being a fan of the format and watching how certain songs or certain artists kind of just take off. It's weird. Yeah, it is weird. You know, and we always, everybody always talks about like, it's just one song away. You know, you're just one song away. And it's like, obviously you have to have that first hit to kind of get through the door. But, you know, I remember, you know, people like we were just talking about Luke, Laney. I mean, list can go on and on. Brett Young. I mean, all these people of just like hearing them and just thinking, okay, you know, this, the, the, these people are super talented, you know, and I want to surround myself with, with people like that and, and hearing them. And I have a lot of friends too, that were super talented that didn't get this opportunity to, to blow up or why did that happen? We all, we all ask that question all the time of like, Hey, why is this working for so-and-so, but it's not working for this person. And, or why is, why is this excelling? And this is not. And, and to, the truth is, I don't know, you know, nobody knows why or, or the it or factor or whatever that is, you know, um, obviously I think it's not always just about, obviously the first song, it's about the first song. Then after that, it's about the brand of what the artist stands for and what, you know, people are going to follow along, how they're going to live their life and, and, and those things to, to get enough people to grasp on, grasp onto what you're doing for longevity. Right. right? Um, and so, you know, having a song like she's somebody's daughter in the last year and a half that is, opened up so many doors for us and literally changed my life. And it was all, you know, the song started that for us. You know, obviously I've been here for a long time, had fans, had listeners, but this catapulted us into a new light that we've never been into before. Now, before we touch, we really start talking about that song. I want to, who are your favorite writers? Who do you love to write with in town? So there's a guy named Tim Nichols who um, also wrote when I first got my publishing deal, he owned um, him and Rusty and Connie, a lady named Connie Harrington owned the publishing company that I was signed to. And so 
I learned how to write songs from Tim Nichols and Tim Nichols has written, you know, live like you were dying heads, Carolina tales, California. I mean, he's right. Nashville songwriter hall of fame. And still today, I mean, just one of my dearest friends, we were in a fantasy football league for years and, and nice. you know, just, he has just taught me a lot about navigating this town and, and just really, you know, my first record I came out with, he wrote half the songs on the record wow. with me. And still today, I mean, we put out a song this past year called Big Prayers that that he wrote with me. And then another guy that I love who also wrote at the same company as me, his name was Jimmy Eerie. And uh, Jimmy Eerie, another incredible songwriter, wrote I Drive Your Truck and like some big mega hits. And we actually wrote She's Somebody's Daughter together. And and those two guys are, are some of my favorite guys to get in the writing room. I feel like every time we write, there's always something that really stands out something that really means a lot and and obviously having those guys just their creative minds just think really different than a lot of writers I've been been in the room with now you've written with I love these guys I love what they stand for I love just their energy and how fun they are Chris and Preston with low cash yeah. um in <laughs> fact I mean you've written uh uh their new single, right? You kind of co-wrote that with them. I did. Yeah. And me and Preston and, and Chris, we go way back and, you know, Preston actually stood up with me at my wedding. He's one of my, my dearest best friends and, you know, did a lot of touring with those boys. And we were out, we were out on the road and we were in Pensacola, Florida. And one of our buddies came over and was hanging out with us, who was a songwriter too. And we got to talking about three favorite colors and patriotism and how we felt like America's lost a little patriotism. And, I'll never forget it, man. We wrote that song in Pensacola. It took like the, the, the buddy that came in had, had a lot of it, like a verse and started the chorus kind of written. And we finished it in like 30 minutes. Wow. And we were laughing the whole time. Like, this is awesome. Like how much this means. And I'll never forget it. We were 3000 people on the beach. I was just out writing with them. I wasn't even, I wasn't even playing that night. I was just there watching. They had 3,000 people on this beach, and Preston goes, hey, I tell you guys what, we got our buddy Drew Baldridge back here, and how about we bring him up, and he's going to play a song we just wrote. <laughs> and I was like, you dick. You <laughs> You're going to call me out like this in front. We've never even played the song, you know. So we go out. We have the phone, holding the phone in front of us, and I'm just, like, trying to fumble through these chords that we just wrote. And we sang this song and we get to the chorus, you know, and it's real simple. I mean, it's, it's called, I got three favorite colors yeah. and obviously the end, red, white, and blue. And man, we sang this chorus and then the hook goes, I got three favorite colors. And that's, and the whole crowd screams red, white, blue. And I, I looked over at Preston and Preston looked at me and he was like, well, it looks like we're going to record this one. Folks. <laughs> it was just kind of, the rest was kind of history. So that was, that was pretty awesome to be on that song and have those boys record it. And obviously, you know, with their success and um, them putting it out, putting it out, it's been a lot of fun. And now it's become one of my staple songs that I play live every night and tell everybody, you know, this is low cash's new single. And um, those, those boys have been really good to me. That's awesome. You also have a connection to Bailey Zimmerman, right? Yeah. You have a song you have a cut on his album. I do. Yeah. So we, so me and Bailey, about two years ago, we, we grew up in the same area. We grew up about 20 minutes from each other. And um, I got a, uh, a message from somebody back home that said, hey, there's this new kid. He just put out a, a song. You ought to check him out. And so I, I, I went and watched his video and I was like, hey, he's a pretty good singer. You know, at this time he had really nothing going on. And I know the town he's from. We played basketball against that same town that growing up. And, and so I thought, man, you know, I didn't really have another artist or writer friend when I moved to town that really just kind of took me under their wing that, that mentored me or anything. And I thought, you know what? He's from my hometown area. I'm just going to shoot him a message. So I shot him a message. Um, and I was like, Hey buddy, um, I know I saw your song. I see you sing. Like, if you really want to do this, if you're really thinking about doing this, here's my cell phone number, you know, call me. And it wasn't two minutes and I get a call. I look down, I got this number calling. I pick it up. And he's like, Oh my God, this is Drew Baldur. I can't believe we're on the phone, man. I'm such a big fan. Like, this is so cool. You know, he's got such high energy and, uh, we got to talk and I was like, Hey man, you really want to do this? Like, let's come down here and write some songs. And so he started coming here. We were writing songs out of my, at that time it was just out of COVID. So Sony where I write wasn't even open. We were just writing songs here at the house. And then 
you know, I just try to try to kind of help him a little bit on navigating his Nashville path at, at the very beginning through his record deals and through his management deal. And, um, just wanted to be a, a good friend to him because I, you know, like I said, I wish I had somebody that was an artist that could give me that walkthrough path. And, you know, I've been such a fan of his from the beginning and watching everything that's happened for him. I, I, I'll never forget when he called me and he was like, you know, cause he was only singing for four months right. the time he got his record. I mean, Wrote his first song got a million views that he's ever written in his first That's song. That's just insane. 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 And his first song, then his first single was a million streams. And then after that, all of them has just been incredible. And, and so I'll never forget. He called me. He's like, Hey, I got a, uh, I don't know what to do. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I got this management company that wants to sign me. He said, but also Warner wants to sign me too. He said, I can't have a, a manager deal and a label deal. Right. <laughs> and I said, That's exactly what you need. You need yeah. both of those. And so, you know, it was really cool. We were out at the ACMs this year and uh, I was sitting a couple rows back and I got to watch him play the ACMs and I had, you know, tears in my eyes and he came up afterwards and hu- gave me a big hug. And I'm just so happy for him. And it was really cool. His label head came over and she gave me a big hug too. and was just like, thank you so much for helping us find him. And, and and navigate him so yeah i mean i I love bailey i'm so happy for everything that he's got going on and it's been fun to be a a small part of his of his process the song by the way for people watching or listening uh is forget about you right that's the song on bailey's album yeah Yeah, that's a song we wrote together um and obviously we have many more that we've written together that uh you know we'll see hopefully he records a couple more of them as it goes on uh, Drew Baldridge is hanging out with me and uh, the story, story behind the song. By the way, I was thinking about this earlier. This has nothing to do with songwriting, has nothing to do with the music industry, but I don't know that I've ever seen you without a hat on. So right at the very beginning, we always uh, never wore a hat, never wore a hat in the very beginning. You know, in, in the first songs we put out, it was always hair done up, hair looking right, all the things. And man, growing up, I just wore a hat all the time. And I was like, oh, man, I'm just going to get back to just, wearing hats because then you know you ain't got to go on stage and fix your hair every night you right. can just throw your hat on and be like all right we're up here we singing <laughs> <laughs> we singing uh somebody's daughter i've got three and one of them i just moved to nebraska she's uh decided she wants to have a blue collar career so she's gonna go be an electrician i called her the other night and she's like dad i met a boy i'm like oh uh, gosh here we go so the somebody's daughter is a song that of course I gravitated to very easily. And I remember scrolling through TikTok, of course, like I, I think I'm only going to spend 15 minutes doing it and an hour and a half later, I'm still on it. And I probably come across somebody's daughter in that 15 minutes to hour and a half, 25, 30 times. Everybody has gravitated to this song. You hit a button in people, man. It's been wild. You know, I, I wrote this song feels like so long ago because I wrote it after meeting my wife's dad for the first time. And I remember thinking like, man, I can't screw this one up. I need to write a message to myself to, to never forget it. And so this is the song that we wrote, you know, that, Hey, if you break her heart, you'd be breaking her mama's heart and her daddy's heart too. And um, so I wrote this song and to be honest, like when I first you know, put out the first recording, nothing really happened. And it was always my wife's favorite song because obviously it came from such a real spot about her father. And uh, when we were getting married, I had this idea. I was like, well, I'm going to go in and make a wedding version for, for her. You know, she's like, I really want to dance to this song with my dad. And and so I went in and just me and a piano and we cut it in like a couple hours. Didn't really think much of it. Obviously I knew when I was singing it that this song was always one of my favorites and it was giving me goosebumps while I was singing it. And fast forward, we, she danced to it at, uh, at our wedding with her, with her dad. And I sat side stage and I was just crying because I was mm-hmm. like, man, this is so special. You know, this is a, a song I wrote for them and now they are dancing to it. And we were on our honeymoon, you know, I was on TikTok and we were in Hawaii and I said, Hey, I'm going to go make a, a TikTok in the car real quick. We were driving around the island. She wanted shaved ice. She was in line to get shaved ice. I said, Hey, while you stay here, I'm going to run, give me 10 minutes. I'm going to make this TikTok and say, Hey, we're going to, we're thinking about putting this song out on Friday. If you guys love it. I think I wrote on it something like this. If this gets 3000 likes, we'll put it out or something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, I posted it, 
told people this is the song that my wife danced to, to her dad. We drove around the island, went home, woke up the next morning, and it was somewhere near 10 million views overnight. Overnight. overnight yeah, wow. almost 10 million views. And I woke up and my phone, I mean, we jumped, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand followers overnight on social media. Wow. And, and I was like, holy smokes, this is really resonating. And then, you know, I just sit back and all of a sudden people started doing a trend. Daughters started doing trends with their dad um, to it. And those were all getting millions and millions of views. And I was just like, this is, inc- I've never had a song do this where it meant so much to people where they were putting in their videos, they were putting in their, you know, videos of their dad, videos of, and then it turned into videos of their wedding. And then all of a sudden that trend would start in France. So then all these French videos and, and French would come and then it would start in Spain. And then all the Spanish uh, people were using the song. And, and so it was just wild to sit back and watch this song grow and mean so much. And now, you know, it's been played so much on, I mean, almost 300 million plays on TikTok uh, of that, of that sound. And it's just, I, I always dreamed of just writing songs that meant something to somebody. And now knowing that this song has reached, so many people and now finally we're actually going to you know get to take it to radio do the thing is is very very exciting so 300 million views on TikTok you've had probably i don't know how many on on like YouTube people find it there yeah. so just on my video um on YouTube i mean we're close to 30 million views on on, on my and the the music video is literally my wedding i mean it's just me and my wife getting married and i took some home videos of her riding her horse and things and threw them in there with me in the studio. And so that has 30 million. But what's crazy about YouTube is all these people make their own videos all Mm -hmm. the time. And so, you know, there's probably another 40, 50, 60 million out there of people making their own videos. But now what's cool is, um, you know, I get my YouTube like announcement every month. that shows me like what was viewed on YouTube last month. And I was looking yesterday and, you know, just last month, she, somebody's daughter had 5 million views on wow. just, just in a month's time. And then, so knowing that this song is still getting shared, still getting used in, in, in weddings and it's just, man, it's wild. And I think, you know, overall just stream Spotify, Apple, I mean, we're somewhere over a hundred million now, which is just crazy. It's funny because I've been in radio my entire life, you know, my entire adult life since I was 15 you know, there was a point of new music discovery. Everybody would go to radio and now it seems like the new music discovery is on TikTok, and then radio will jump on to them from there. I think I heard you in another podcast somewhere down the road talking about how vital and important radio still is. I mean, so many people, you know, listen to it on a weekly basis. It's in everybody's cars, people's homes, you know, they stream it, everything you basically started your own label. You put a team together based on what you've been able to accomplish so far. That's an amazing feat in itself. Man, Garrett, thanks so much for saying that. You know, I, I thought when daughter was doing this, we were going to get a record deal immediately. And I thought I was going to send it out to radio and I thought radio was going to jump on board like instantly. And that just hadn't been the case. And I was getting, you know, frustrated And between me and you, you know, I think uh, it was because I had a record deal at one time, you right. know, and this guy's had a chance, you know, and Nashville kind of gives those one shots. And if it didn't work out, well, we're all pulling out. We're going to go find the next dude that we can put that one shot into. Right. And, and so um, I shopped it for a minute. I had a lot of people that were like, man, these numbers that you're doing are, are insane. Like, this song is massive. You know, obviously the TikTok story is incredible. Your streams are incredible. Your income that you're making off these songs is incredible. But I just couldn't find anybody that was like, let's go to radio tomorrow. And so radio is still the driver of all, you know, it's, it's the king. You know, it's the top. Like, yeah, cool. I have had 100 million streams and that's incredible. Don't get me wrong. And it's blown up on TikTok and that's incredible. And I can go play shows and people know every word and scream it back at me. But it just goes to a whole other level once radio hits the play button because it's it's the le- it's the legitimate button. You right. know, it's it's the button that says, hey, this is the stamp that that uh everybody believes in this song, not just, you know, social media. And so I, I got to the point where I was like, you know what? Screw everybody. 
in the biggest way. I'm just, you know, I've, I've been here long enough. I feel like I I deserve this shot of of going to radio. And if a, you know, label ever wants to come on board, cool. But right now I just, man, we've been very blessed that this song has made enough money to afford a team. And it still does every month. I I can pay for a whole label and, and we're, you know, we just started this, this campaign two weeks ago and it's been so exciting. I think too, like I tell all my label staff, I'm like, Hey guys, I just want you to know, like, if we do this and it succeeds, it could change the whole landscape for, for artists and radio and labels in general, because I think we're getting to a spot where, you know, radio now is starting to play songs that go viral quicker. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, this Richmond guy, I mean, obviously you being there, you, you understand this. And, and so Oliver Anthony, they're jumping on board with a song that's reacting. And that's how I think radio should work. And I wish I would have had that, you know, daughter come out a year ago or whatever, that that would have just happened for us. And it would have been, you know, the same thing. But, you know, I think radio just wants to play good music. And, and instead of if, if we can bring you guys good music and break down these barriers of, well, the labels control what comes out at radio and now labels aren't pushing everything to radio unless it reaches the threshold of of streams or of numbers and sometimes i think you could miss a hit if you're just like well this song isn't getting the notoriety that's supposed to before it goes to radio and it's like well what if people just don't know about it right you know like we wouldn't have we wouldn't have friends in low places probably today if if tiktok was the driver of everything and garth brooks didn't want to work social media (laughs) right and so you know, so there's a lot of a lot of, you know, problems and figuring that out. But, you know, being able to start this own thing, if, if other artists, I've already had several artists text me about how is this working? How does this look? And I think if we can get this to work, if radio, you know, rallies behind us, like I think they will, because I believe in the song. I think we're going to see a lot of other artists maybe be like, oh, crap, like I could do this, too. And, and and put out a song, and, and if radio likes it, they'll play it. And if it works, they'll play it. There's no reason not to. It's interesting to to watch this and watch you do your thing. And it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of Nashville responds to what you're doing and going, holy crap, you know? And even artists, new artists, doing the exact same thing. That's kind of cool. Yeah, and, you know, that's kind of what, you know, obviously I had several label meetings that – um you know, like I said, people love the song and I'm not, I'm not pro, I'm not, you know, against labels. I'm not negative towards labels because I think labels are very vital and important. Um, but um, I'm just here to the point to be like, Hey, no, you know, like I, I want to show that y'all, y'all missed this. You know, you missed this song. You missed us as an artist. And um, it's, I do have, you know, some radio guys out there that are saying, well, obviously we love the song. We love you. We just want to see it grow. And it's like, well, how do you get this? How do you get it to go up the chart if you don't play it? You know, so right. So there's that. That's the history of our our business, though. Just how it works, you know. And you got to prove that. Hey, we're going to get it up the chart. We're going to get the ads. We're going to get the plays, and it's going to happen. And I think, you know, this is my first song, and I've had songs at radio where I've tried putting them out with another label, and this is my first song that there has been throughout this whole process of sending it to PDs and things there's been hardly any negative, like most of the time. And by PDs, I mean, program directors, obviously, but most of the time they're like, well, I don't really like it. You know, this is, I'm going to need to see it get up to this man. Everybody's been like, we love this song. You know, this song is, we have a daughter or, you know, we, we love this song because it, it's actually, you know, a good message for country radio to play of not, it's not, I'm sleeping with a girl last night. It's not, you know, I'm hammered drunk. It's, Hey, treat a woman, right. You know, and, and, and that's that's one of the coolest things for me is that we're sending a message out to radio. Um, we're sending a song out to radio with a with a great message behind it. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny when when you hear somebody say, I need to see it grow. I think it's done that. You know, I, I'm not going to say that to you because when you have 100 million, you know, streams or 300 million streams on TikTok and 30 million on YouTube, I think it's proven itself, you know, that, that it needs to be heard on our format. Well, thank you so much for saying that. Cause that's the way that I feel too. You know, when they, when somebody says my rep comes back and says, well, they say they need to see it grow. And I'm like, well, have they seen the numbers? Cause we're <laughs> our, we have more screens than half the chart already. Right. So 
people feel like this song is this underground song that they feel special because they know it because right. it's not on the radio waves. And as soon as they do hear it on the radio, they freak out. You know, I'm getting messages every day now, like we're hearing this and, you know, in Chicago or wherever, we're so excited. And it's like, oh man, like they, they are very, very excited because they were at the ground level with it. And now they've seen it grow and been a part of the whole process. That's awesome. I, I sent you a text a couple of weeks ago, just on honky tonk town that you did, which is so yeah. fun. I love that song. Yeah, man. So about a year and a half ago, Brooks and Dunn was looking to make a new record. And so I, I was sitting down and I was trying to get on the Brooks and Dunn record. And I was writing a bunch of nineties kind of vibe songs. And this was one of the songs that I wrote. They had one of those songs that I wrote. They put it on hold. They said, put our name on it. We really like it. And long story short, it didn't make their record. And so I have all these nineties country songs that I love that I grew up on that I played in bars. And, and so I played it live one night and everybody's like, you got to record it. You got to record it. So I went in and I recorded it and it's still, it's now one of our staple songs we play live, but I just made the music video for it. Oh, cool. music video is going to be coming out probably in the next couple of weeks. CMT just told us yesterday, they're going to jump on board. They're going to put it on their broadcast. And it's a, I mean, it's straight out the nineties. I mean, in a bar line dancing, I mean, all the things of, of, uh, of nineties, nineties country music kind of vibe. So, um, I think obviously what we got coming for us is, very, very exciting. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to to put out new music and watch what happens after this song has obviously been such a big thing. It's it's literally, you know, it could take 40, 50 weeks to get a song up the chart. And mm-hmm. obviously underneath, we're going to continue to put out new music and things and, and watch what pops off next that we can put out to radio following this, this song. I, uh, I forgot to mention... On Somebody's Daughter, you have three different versions on Spotify that I think I've heard. You've got the original one, which you put out, right? And then, which is more of an up-tempo version of Somebody's Daughter. You've got the one with the piano. And then there's one with one of the co-writers on that where where he's rapping. Yeah, so crazy story. So there's technically four versions. Four versions. sounds absolutely wild. Yeah. And so... What happened was I had the original version, the up-tempo one. That did pretty much, at that time, it was doing nothing. Like, it was out, and I loved it, but then everything blew up when I did the wedding version, which was just me and a piano and a cello. Yeah. Well, it blew up so much, and this was with, mind you, there hasn't been, this song hasn't been in any Spotify playlist. It's never been in an Apple playlist, and all these numbers have just been people going and searching it, and the wedding version was the driver of that. So I wanted to go in and make a radio version. Uh, a, uh, a version for radio to play, for playlisting to play. So I made this reimagined version. It's called She's Somebody's Daughter Reimagined. And that's the one that we sent out to radio. That's the one we're sending to playlisting. And we just did that. Um, it came out September 30th. So almost a year. That's okay. the reimagined that we're sending to radio. Well, I put out the reimagined version. And then it wasn't but like a month later. So about October of last year, there's a, a rapper on on uh, TikTok named Lathan Warlick. And and I knew Lathan because he's made some country records with, he was on a Granger Smith record. He was on a Tyler Hubbard record. And anyways, I, I got on TikTok one night and he tagged me in a rap that he made of my song. Huh. I, I went over and looked at it and it had, I don't know, five to 10 million views. And it was going viral and everybody was tagging me saying, you need to put this out. You need to put this out. And, you know, the gracious of not having a label and just being my own artist, I just hit him up and he, I was like, dude, you want to do this? And he said, oh my gosh, can we do this? And I said, yes, we can. Let's do it. So we put it, we put it out uh, right at the beginning of December last year. And uh, it was literally, I know a rap over, you're thinking like, how does she, somebody's daughter and a rap go together? But the way that he did it was so real of like treat women right. And I just loved it. We brought him to Nashville. We did a music video together. And so it's what's called the She's Somebody's Daughter remix. And uh, there's a rap version out there too. It's very, (laughs) I I was kind of, when I listened to it, I was, you know, you're listening, you're into the song. And then all of a sudden that comes in and you just like, stop. And you're like, what, what is going on? What, you know, it's all the senses just kind of take over for a second. It was cool. Very cool. I like, I, I really liked that version of it too, by the way, he did good. Well, Well, I appreciate that. And what's cool too, is I told, you know, Obviously, we want to focus on the reimagined version for radio and all right. that stuff. But there's 
if there's something out there where they're like, Hey, we want to throw in the remix version. It might be fun. Well, you go ahead. You know, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like it's, you know, I, I don't know if anybody would want to hear rap on, on country radio, but it's available. So that's, that's what's really fun about, about our music format where it's at right now of just being able to make different versions and also, you know, songs people are going, I mean, Luke Combs, as you can tell, I mean, he took a song that's already been a number one hit for Tracy Chapman and did it again. And right. so a lot of people are doing these different versions of their song or they're taking old songs and rewriting them. Like Chris Young did this with Rebel Rebel with David Bowie now with his new single. And, yeah. and there's tons of people that are doing unique, you know, taking from old and making it new again. And so that's what we kind of did with our own song, um, which is, which is kind of awesome. You know, I don't think, I don't know if I'm supposed to mention this yet. Um, Cause I just heard the song this last week, Kane Brown, his new song, it samples uh, in the air tonight, just a little bit, the drum parts. And then I think he uses something from in the air tonight. So yeah, it's uh, it seems to be a very cool trend that's happening. Yeah. And I think too, you know, pop music has been doing it for years and you know, everybody always says country music is, is 10 years or 20 years behind what they're doing. And so, you know, us using samples and things, I, I think we're going to continue to see that obviously the Jake Owen song that just on the, on the boat again the boat or again. whatever. Yeah. And so I think we're going to see some samples. I think we're going to see a lot of this, but I know Nashville is also on the other side of it. Of like, can we not do that? Right. Can we, can we not, you know, there's, you're going to have people that are going to say that. Can we, can we just make our own original stuff? But when you think about it, I mean, how many movies have been remade and remade and, and are like Marvel movies, Superman movies, like that are redone and redone. And so, you know, I think going back every now and then and pulling out uh, a gem out of the archives is, is not a bad thing. No, I don't think so. And you know what I think is, is very cool for country music right now is just in the last, what, three weeks, we have had the number one, number two, and number three songs on the Billboard Hot 100. I mean, all genres, that's never happened until just, you know, the last few weeks. So I feel like our format in country music is in a really really good position. It's cyclical, right? Like Garth Brook generation. Yeah. And then you had the FGL generation. And now here we come again, 10, 12 years later, and we're doing it again. We are literally, and I tell this all the time to people, I mean, we are the biggest genre in our country right now. Mm -hmm. and, and, and maybe even some spots of the world, we are the biggest genre and driving. And I think that comes from, you know, the music is obviously resonating and bigger than it ever has been with with people i mean like you said showing the three having the top three number one songs um is powerful and special and it's like holy smokes like country music is making a statement right now and to be to be a small part of that and, and hope that you know you have a song up there one day it, it's a cool feeling to know that we are you know, it's not a, a dying genre by any means. If anything, it's it's growing and, and the biggest one in, in the in the country. I don't want to keep you much longer, Drew. I appreciate all this time. You've been amazing. I wanted to kind of wrap up with uh, something that I ask everybody on my podcast, and it's called "Lesson in the Lyric." What lyrics or lines from a song, written by you or not? have really impacted you to the point where you also think it's great advice and you share it with others. Yeah. You know, I think obviously I have a couple songs that, uh, that re that really stand out right now in my head. Obviously she's somebody's daughter being one of them. Cause obviously I wrote that as a message to myself, the last, the hook line, you know, hers won't be the only heart you're breaking. Right. She's somebody's daughter, you know, and, and even like just reading those, those lyrics down, is really even the first verse, you know, she's more than just a pretty face in a late night bar. You know, she's, she's more than all those things. Like right. she has a person, she's soul, and she has, she has a, a father that, and a mother that love her and you're going to hurt them too. And so the message of that song is so strong. And I also have this other song Garrett that I'd love for you to listen to. If you grew up in a small town and you had any father figures in your life or a grandpa that you loved a lot, um, it's called legacy. And I put it on my last album and, and the hook of it, it says a small town man's legacy never dies. And, and, and that, that right there really resonates with me because I lost my grandpa two years ago. And I was always bummed that my, that my son is not going to get to meet his grandpa. Right. right. And uh, not me. Sorry. He's going to get to meet his grandpa, but not my grandpa, my right. grandpa that taught me or my grandpa taught me how to drive a tractor, you know, all these things. And um, every time I sing that song every night, 
what what resonates with me, a small town man legacy never dies, is that he's going to get to see his grandpa through me. And and I think and I think that's what one of the coolest thing is is that if you raise a kid right or if you if you instill good things in them, morals or anything, they pass on for generation to generation to generation. And now, you know, I'm going to be able to teach my my son things that my grandpa taught me because his legacy hasn't died because I'm still here. And I think that that is a really cool message that I think people can get when they hear that song. I, I really love that message. I think that just resonated with me while you said it. Um, it's funny when you talk about the small towns, my, my wife gives me a hard time because in Colorado where I grew up, my high school, my senior class had 23 people in it too. So I, I totally get it. I totally get it. And you know what, to be honest, I never met one of, um, neither, actually neither one of my grandfathers, they died before I was born. So I didn't get that opportunity to have them. So, you know, it's, and it's, it's something that I, I really wish I could go back and, and, and spend that time with them. Cause my mom tells me all great things. My dad tells me all great things, but unfortunately I didn't yeah. get that opportunity. So I'm glad that you did and are taking, you're taking that message, you know, to, to the masses. Yeah. And I think, you know, like I said, we have an, uh, another song called big prayers that has been uh, really resonated on social media. And the whole hook of that song is send them up, you know, when, in the, in the hardest time is send them up and there's somebody up there listening and, um, hit your knees. You got to, and don't give up. And I think that's another powerful, powerful message song that I would love for people to check out. Drew Baldridge, somebody's daughter. If you haven't heard one of the four versions, just go look them up on, on your socials, your TikTok. just uh, search Drew on basically is it Drew Baldridge everywhere? Yeah. Drew Baldridge music on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Yeah. So go find it, go buy it, support Drew and uh, you know, the label and just uh, help Lyric grow up to, you know, know what songwriting's all about. <laughs> That's right, buddy. I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for having on, having me on here and being able to tell the story of this song. And um, I'm very, very excited and passionate about it. And I love that uh, you've connected with it too. So that means a lot that you have me on here. Drew Baldridge, one of the nicest, most down-to-earth guys that you will ever come across. As it was written, the story behind the song Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you like what you heard, I'd love it if you would subscribe to the podcast and be sure to uh, leave a comment. Let me know what you think. Until next time, thanks for listening.